Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. The book of 1 Peter chapter 2, we continue our study through the New Testament. Now, remember, this is around 64 AD. Now, there is a diaspora, things that we studied last week in uh, chapter 1. And remember, the cost of being a Christian, the cost of being a believer, it's very high, life-threatening. And Peter is writing to saints about a type of safety that is of the Spirit. It's safety in the Word of God. It is safety in abiding in Christ. And as a continuation from our study from last week, Brother Peter, he continues here in verse 1, and he says, Therefore, laying aside, which is in the Greek, to put away, cast it off, throw it away. What is it that the saint is to throw away? Therefore, in verse 1, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. You see, Peter, he's telling believers during the perilous times, during the perilous times of 64 AD, to do a work, to do a work. And remember, a lot of people, oh, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Very true. We're not saved by works, but it is true. We are saved for good works. And what are the good works that Brother Peter speaks of? To throw away. To throw away. To throw away what? Look at what he says, the following. All, which is any and every form of, and what he says in verse 1, how it translates in the Greek, to throw away any and every form of evil, depravity, Malice, wickedness, harm, trickery, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, jealousy, defiling, backbiting, defamation, and slander. That's what Brother Peter is saying, a vessel of the Lord. And inspired of the Spirit, he writes this letter to the saints. Remember, 64 AD, remember our study from not just last week, but the introduction to 1 Peter. And there is a rising tide against the saints. And Peter says of the carnal behaviors, throw it away, get rid of it, lay them aside. And then we get to verse 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You see, perhaps we shouldn't say the tide is rising against the saints because it's more appropriate to say the waves are crashing against the saints. The tsunami, it's crashing against the saints in 64 AD and it's getting worse. It's getting worse. In this environment, Growing in Christ is very difficult. It's not impossible, but what makes it difficult is us, the flesh, the carnal nature. That's what makes it difficult. That, that's what makes growth difficult. Remember our study in Hebrews 5 and 6 and also in the book of James, how, remember, that we lay aside the elementary things and we move on to perfection. But at the same time, when we look at Hebrews 5 and 6, if the Lord permits... 
You see, understand, the Lord is absolutely, He desires that for all of us. But at the same time, there are things that prohibit that from happening. And it is the flesh. It is the carnal nature. It is the way of Adam. But the way of Christ, the way of Christ, according to the Spirit, you and me together, we have to reckon the old man dead. We have to reckon the old woman dead. And these carnalities that Brother Peter writes of, the malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, and these forms of carnality, among even more, they become less of a hindrance when we reckon the old nature to be dead. You see, God's instruction that he gives to us in his word is to help us. It's to help you and me so that we can understand. And when we understand, we have a choice to make balls in our court. Are we going to honor the Lord or are we not? Balls in our court. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. I mean, when Brother Peter says, you know, these things of the flesh, the malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, when Brother Peter, a vessel of the Lord inspired of the Spirit, when he says, throw it away, can he make anybody throw that away? No. He can speak, he can teach, he can write. But every single believer has the choice to make for himself or for herself. I don't care how young you are. I don't care how old you are. We have a choice to make. You see, it's very important to understand that these instructions that we find in the Word of God and that we have in the Word of God is to help us. Because, you know, sometimes people think that the Bible is just, it's just a book of stuff that we can't do. And there's a little bit of that. Oh, I can't. And I used to think that way when I was a young believer, like a baby Christian. This was like 25 years ago. I used to think, oh, man, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. Oh, what a bummer. And, you know, it is true that there is a little bit of that in the Bible. But there's also what you and I are enabled to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a walk becomes religion. Because... People are attempting to do a work without the power of the Holy Spirit. It's very important to understand the two baptisms. The baptism of repentance, but then also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Believing in Jesus, repenting of sins, that's the baptism of repentance. But don't forget, there's another, and it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen to our study, the introduction to 1 Peter. You'll understand more because we look at passages in the book of Acts, how there are believers, Christians, and they do not have the Holy Spirit. It's very important to understand. And when we speak of the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about the stuff you see on, on you know, TV, on TBN, Tricking Believers Nightly. We're not talking about that. Where a guy takes off his coat and waves his coat and, you know, everybody, the first 10 rows in the audience, they fall over. No. That's a mockery. We're talking about the real power of the Holy Spirit. very important to understand as the days that we live in grow to be more evil. 
And when we speak of, you know, these, you know, the, 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 the power and the gifts of the spirit, it's not to show off or grandstand. It's, not, it's understand it's for the body, for the body of Christ to care for the body and to glorify the Lord. Gifts of prophecy, gifts of healing. Remember Agabus in the book of Acts? He didn't grandstand and be like, oh, look, I'm a prophet of the Lord. Look, I have the gift of prophecy and look how awesome I am. And for your love gift of $100, I'll send you a plaque. That wasn't Agabus. That's what you see on Tricking Believers Nightly. But you don't see that in the Bible. Agabus had the gift of prophecy. And when he came to town, he came to warn the believers and warn Christians and say, listen, there's a famine coming. There's a famine coming. And when the famine came, the church, the church was prepared. You see? And so we see the, the gift of prophecy, the gifts of healing. And never, ever, ever forget the greatest gift, which is love. Love. And we see this diaspora of 64 AD, but there's a diaspora of the last days too, as saints become isolated, as saints are fleeing to what is presumed to be safety. And this last days diaspora is perilous. I mean, look what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 21, where he says, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And with Peter in the diaspora of 64 AD in the era of that diaspora, he says this in verse 2 in 1 Peter chapter 2, Verse 2, he says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So take all those works of the flesh, all the works of the flesh, the any and every form of evil, depravity, malice, wickedness, harm, trickery, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, jealousy, defiling, backbiting, defamation, and slander. And we do what? Throw it in the trash. Get rid of it. Which is a choice. Okay, so we do that. Now what? Okay. Now, as newborn babes, we desire the pure milk of the word. That you may grow thereby. That we may grow, that we may mature. Remember how in Hebrews 5 and 6, how we see the urging to mature and grow in Christ, but also understand it's, you know, if the Lord is willing, if the Lord permits, if the Lord permits. And sometimes people put that in like, in terms of, okay, the Lord, he will make me mature. He will make us mature. He is irresistible. He will make this happen. But that's false theology. God doesn't make robots. You and me together, we take the carnal nature, 
We take the evil, depravity, malice, wickedness, harm, trickery, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, jealousy, defiling, backbiting, defamation, slander. We take the old man. We take the old woman. And if you're my younger brother, my younger sister, we take the old boy and or the young boy or the, no, the old boy because you're old nature or the old girl. And we take them and we throw them in the trash. Because we're new creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. Because if that doesn't happen, if we don't lay aside the malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, how can we say we're new? How can I say I'm new? How can you say you're new? How can we say we are new creations if the old is still alive? You see? And this is how we move on to perfection. Because yes, the Lord desires, but if we don't do that, he won't permit. If, if we don't reckon the old nature dead, you know, we'll hit. It's, it's kind of like repeating a grade over again. First grade, second grade, third grade, and then you're stuck in third grade. First grade, second grade, and then we get bumped back to first grade. First grade, second 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 grade, because we're not moving on to perfection. We have arrested development. We can't move on what is taught in second grade. Why? Because we don't want to take those carnal natures and throw them away. But when a Christian, when you and me, when we take those carnal natures, then we throw them away and get rid of them. The old man, the old woman, throw it away. Then we go first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and on to perfection. That we may grow thereby. If indeed, in verse 3, Brother Peter says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You see, it's kind of strange that Peter says this to believers. No disrespect to Peter. Nor disrespect to the Lord, you know, no, no disrespect to the Lord because, you know, the word of God is, the word became flesh. But let's be real here. It's kind of strange that Peter says this to believers. If indeed you have tasted that, that the Lord is gracious. I mean, why would any believer not think that the Lord is not gracious? Why? Why? And it's kind of strange. Like, why Why would Peter even say that? If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. I'm not every believer acknowledges that the Lord is gracious. And understand the time, 64 AD, in the diaspora of that day, in the peril of 64 AD, in times of plenty. In times of plenty, it's easy to say that God is gracious. It's a piece of cake to say that God is gracious in the good times. It's easy to say that God is gracious when things are good. But what about perilous times? What about times of tribulation? Is it easy to say that God is gracious? You see? It's more difficult to say that God is gracious when there is sorrow upon sorrow, when there is peril upon peril. And we need to understand the times. Because in the diaspora of Peter's day, there was a falling away. 
All the saints in Asia left sound doctrine. Remember our studies through the pastoral epistles? They left sound doctrine. And yet look what we see the Spirit doing. Where the Spirit says, hey, Paul, write a letter. Peter, write a letter. And these vessels of the Lord, they speak of a better safety. And so we see this in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone. You see, you and me, we stand on the rock of salvation. And that rock is Christ. But he is a living stone because the stone is Christ. And brother Peter, he says in verse 4, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. And you also, he says in verse 5, you also as living stones. You see, when you and me together, when we stand on the rock of salvation, which is Christ, the living stone, and we stand immovable in Christ and abiding in Christ, but also living stones, you see, but not stones for nothing. The Lord is doing something. The Lord is at work. That's why we stress formula. Formula, formula, formula. Formula in you and me as believers. Formula in fellowship as koinonia and love feast and ecclesia. Koinonia for family. Formula in family. Formula in ecclesia. Formula in you and me as individuals. But then also formula in you and me together as ecclesia. But the Lord is at work. It doesn't end there. We see in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up. A spiritual house. You know what this means in the Greek? Straight up, you know what this means in the Greek? He says, you also, Brother Peter, he says in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. And this translates in the Greek as a supernatural home. A supernatural temple and family. Family. That's koinonia. That's love feast. That's family. Heirs of Abraham by faith in Jesus. But there's more. When the formula is right in you and me. When the formula is right in Ecclesia. And when the formula is right and we stand on the rock of salvation, that rock being Christ who is a living stone, but then us also as living stones, being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do you remember the priesthood according to the flesh? According to the flesh, do you remember our studies in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you do remember. Do you remember Aboda, Aboda, Mishkan? Do you remember? 
I mean, if you're listening for the first time, you're like, what? What is he talking about? Go back and listen to our study through Leviticus. You'll understand more, a lot more. And we have in Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan, something deeper as New Covenant believers because we see something more clear. I mean, if Abodah, Abodah, Mishkan was a big deal back then, how much more the real priesthood according to the Spirit? Sacrifices acceptable to the Most High through Jesus. And that's what Brother Peter is writing on. That's what he's telling the saints. Remember, they fled. We're in a diaspora. 64 AD, give or take a couple years. You know, the, the range that I see, there's a kind of like a, when you look at certain uh, reference points, some people say 60, 60 AD to 65, 67 AD. But, you know, when you kind of align everything, it's kind of closer to 64, 65 AD. So when you consider the diaspora of 64 AD, the cost of being a Christian is very high, deadly, life-threatening. And people were fleeing Christian saints, believers, our family, our early brothers, our early sisters. They were fleeing to what they presumed to be safety. And the Spirit says to Peter, the Spirit says to Paul, hey, write a letter. You see? And to Paul, hey, mobilize the pastors, the next generation of pastors. Timothy, Titus. And vessel Peter. Reminding the saints. You see, lay aside those things of the flesh. That's what Brother Peter is speaking of. Lay aside those things. Throw, take that flesh, take that carnal nature, and throw it in the trash. And as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Because when that happens, I mean, we overlay that with Hebrews 5 and 6. And we see exactly the same spirit that inspired the writer of Hebrews is the same spirit that's telling Peter to write these things. You see? And remember the spirit, the things that were put in motion long ago? Remember the dominoes from our study from last week? The things which are peered into? And so the formula is right in the remnant. And as living stones upon the living stone, something's happening. Something's happening. Where the saint is being built up. A spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Through Jesus Christ. Therefore, in verse 6, it is also contained in the scripture. See, the Peter now, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. Behold, he says in verse 6. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. By no means be put to shame. This is a promise of the Lord. Beautiful, beautiful promise of the Lord. But we also understand effectuation. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Remember, belief and faith, package deal. Package deal. Go back and listen to our study in James and you'll understand more about this package deal. Package deal. 
And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. In verse 7, therefore, to you who believe, to you who believe, he is precious. He is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And, and this is the word kai, K-A-I in the Greek, kai. Remember, inclusivity with the word kai. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense or offense. It's the same Jesus. The same Jesus. To some he is precious, to others he is a rock of offense. Remember, as our Lord says himself, that light came into the world, but people love darkness more than the light. I mean, you think of the name of Jesus. His name is like honey to our lips. But that's to the saint. To other people, the name of Jesus, it's repulsive to them. People have a choice to make. You see? And that's when we see the word Kai here in verse 8, because, you know, in verse 7, to you who believe, he's precious. But then we look at the two camps, to you who believe, but then the next camp is to those who are disobedient. You see? In one camp, he is precious. But in another camp, remember Kai from verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble. And in the Greek, this is stumble, but also to strike and beat upon. They stumble, being disobedient to the word, where in the Greek, this is disobedience through unbelief, to which they were also appointed. We see here in verse 8, and this is a big deal. To which they were also appointed. This is a huge deal to understand these terms in the Greek because there are some denominations today. They've been around for a while, but they missed the mark in this area. And they say that God predestines people to hell. That God appoints people to hell. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, you can look at this text and say, okay, the, the text says, you know, that they appoint, they are appointed, uh, they appointed to disobedience. And then, you know, you can agree with certain denominations. You know, you can, a denomination says, well, God, God predestines people to hell. And you look at this in, in verse eight, that, you know, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. You say, okay, I, I understand what the guy is saying. But it's important to have text, context, and co-text. Very important of all the texts in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Do you remember how last week in our study in chapter 1, do you remember how we mentioned that tribulation, perilous times, how it reveals the remnant? Well, the opposite is also true. How tribulation also reveals wickedness. And these are things that are going to be revealed as we get further into the events of the last days. And don't forget, falling away is prophesied. Falling away is prophesied. 
Did God appoint the falling away? Well, when you look at our, the, our study in the book of Judges, you see how falling away happens, how the Lord becomes forgotten. You see? And so as we get further in the last days, there's something that will be seen. The remnant, the remnant will be refined as through fire and get brighter and brighter and brighter, but only for the remnant. And the remnant will get smaller and smaller and smaller too because of the falling away. So much so that the prophecies, what Jesus says in Matthew 24, you know, that no flesh will be saved, even the elect. That's what Jesus says, no flesh. Those days are going to be so dark that our Lord says himself, no flesh would be saved, even the elect, unless, unless those days be shortened. So let's put, let's enumerate that. No flesh will be saved. So you know how many would be, you know, uh, in the faith? Zero. So say there's, I'll just throw out a number. Say there's a million Christians today. Well, 70 weeks are decreed. 70 weeks are decreed. And we're moving closer each day to zero in the faith. But unless those days be shortened, it's not going to be zero. And those days will be shortened. That's what our Lord says. Prophetically speaking, that's what our Lord says. Now, he knows he knows that he, you know, in the beginning was the word of God and the word was, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. He knows you and me. The only way we know is by faith in the one who does know. That's how we know. And we study his word and the word became flesh. Sometimes, you know, I have these conversations with non-believers. Oh, you Christians are so crazy, they tell me. And, you know, to a certain degree, it's, it's understandable. You know, I also look at the church and I see crazy towns. So, okay. It's evident. So when non-believers say, oh, you Christians are so crazy. Listen, they're, they're, they're speaking of fulfilled prophecy. Because strong delusion, that's a prophetic event. So if you're listening and you're not a believer and you think Christians are crazy, what you're acknowledging is biblical prophecy. Crazy town. You see? Be unbelieving no more. I have these conversations all the time. Oh, you Christians, you believe your Bible and you know it was written by this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and you say this is right and you say this is right and oh, the Bible, it's been rewritten over the years. It's been rewritten. It's been translated it's been retranslated many times which is why we look at the ancient texts hebrew greek aramaic but also understand when jesus was standing before pontius pilate quides veritas and pontius pilate is staring truth right in the face And Pilate asking him, you know, I have the power to set you free. And Jesus responds, said, you have no power over me. 
except that which is given to you by my Father in heaven. And you definitely have no power over him. Well, I, I paraphrase, but when you have the full acknowledgement of Scripture, you know, nobody has any power over the Lord. And Jesus says, you have no power over me. Just what's been given to you by my Father in heaven. And we know the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. And the Bible is the Word of God. To dwell among us. To tabernacle with us. And I love that. You know why? Because having the backdrop of our study in Torah, we see Israel sojourning through the wilderness and entry into the promised land. But it's the same for you and me. We're just passing by. And in this journey, what happens? He's with us to tabernacle with us. And we also will have passage into the promised land. And when we say promised land, we speak of paradise. We speak of heaven. You see? And we're going to get further in the events of the last days. And the remnant will be revealed. But also the wicked. It's going to get worse. It's going to get to the point where the world will want your head. That's what we're... we're it's going to be bad. It's going to be very bad. And there's a lot of Christians today, they, they lean on a pre-tribulation rapture. We don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And the reason why is because it's not in the Bible. It's not. I know it's widely taught. But it's not in the Bible. Go and listen to our studies. Listen to our studies through the Thessalonian letters. First Thessalonians and second Thessalonians, and you'll understand more. But we're moving closer to the point where when you stand for Christ, standing on the rock of salvation, standing on the living stone, we ourselves being living stones, when that happens, the world is not just going to hate you. The world is going to want us dead. They're going to want our heads. And so as the remnant is being revealed and getting brighter, so too are the wicked. And it's being revealed through their unbelief. How hearts become harder and harder and harder and ultimately stone. And, you know, with this hardness, there is a stumbling to the word of God. But there is also a striking of the word of God and a beating of the word of God. Have you ever talked with a Satanist, a Luciferian? And sometimes I've had these conversations with the Satanist before. And sometimes they're a little warmer than the Luciferian. But the Luciferian, what they say about the Bible, what they say about the word of God, they have no fear of the Lord because based on how they speak, based on how they behave, based on their conduct, they have no fear of the Lord. There is absolutely a stumbling to the word. 
But there is also a striking of the word and the beating of the word of God. And it's something that they do. But I also say unto you, even still, they know not what they do. They know not what they do. They might think they know. They might think they hate God. And in fact, they might pretty much hate God. But they're going to regret it. Because in the land of the living, they have not tasted the lake of fire where there's burning and weeping and gnashing of teeth and separation from the Lord. They haven't. None among the living has experienced that. None. And that's why we say they know not. You see? And what happens is because people love darkness more than the light, which is a choice. It's a choice to love darkness more than the light. It's just not a hatred for the light. They might love the light, but it's the love of the darkness more than the light. And in all cases, it's self-inflicted because a person has a choice to make for themselves. I mean, look at Pharaoh. Look at Pharaoh. It is true that God hardened his heart. It is true that there was an appointing of this hardening of his heart. But it is also true that opportunity was given. An open door was presented to Pharaoh. And in the circle of Pharaoh, do you remember our study in the book of Exodus? And in the circle of Pharaoh, Look at all the hard hearts that were with him. Everybody laughed and scoffed at Moses and Aaron. But in the course of time, hearts in the circle of Pharaoh became soft. Pharaoh's inner circle was advising him to relent of his error and let God's people go. But he didn't. He hardened his heart over and over and over and over and over and over and then god stepped in judgment and wrath where god hardened his heart you see it's something we also see in romans you say oh that's old testament that's old testament no hold the phone there my friend we also see in romans 1 when, when God's wrath is revealed on individuals and comes to individuals. So you take today. Evangelizing 30 years ago is not like today. I mean, it's what, 2022, almost 23. And evangelizing 30 years ago, well, for easy math, we'll say in the year 2000. We'll say 1990. 1990-2000, somewhere in the 90s. Evangelizing back then, it's not like evangelizing today. Because fishers of men in the last days must be wise with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And not to suggest that, you know, there wasn't wisdom in the 90s, not to suggest that in any way, shape, or form. But also understand the times as the days become more evil as the rise of the Antichrist spirit. It becomes more, not just powerful, but palpable. 
You can see it. And ultimately making way for the Antichrist himself. All these according to prophecy. You see what's happening today in the Middle East with the Abraham Accords and how these world powers want together, want to come together and enhance the Abraham Accords. Enhance the Abraham Accords with the inclusion of Saudi Arabia where everybody in these world circles, they say, we include Saudi Arabia and there will be peace. Israel and the Palestinians, Israel and the Arab countries. And they say that can happen, quote, within a year, within one year, that can happen. Within one year. So Christmas time next year. Could be, I'm not saying it is, but could be. That final week, the 70th week of Daniel, the beginning of the final seven years of world history. You say, well, that's very irresponsible to say, you know, because, you know, no man knows the day or the hour and no, nobody knows. But you look at all the correlating prophecies. You look at all the events that are happening in the world today. Love waxing cold. Everybody's offended. These are signs of the times. Geopolitically, what's happening in the Middle East, on the world stage, the decline of nations and the rise of conglomerates such as Magog. The drying of the Euphrates River, red heifers, preparations for the third temple, third temple being prefabricated. Major bodies and organizations with the intent to construct and build the third temple. You look at all these things that are happening, ethnos against ethnos, you see, ethnic divisions. The rise of apostasy in the church, false teachers, false prophets. Strong delusion, the days are crazy. We've entered crazy town. You look at all these correlating prophecies. And then you hear these major players on the world stage say, within a year, we're going to bring Saudi Arabia into the Abraham Accords. And we're going to enhance the Abraham Accords. I mean, this, this rhetoric that is being spoken by global leaders, it's language that we also see in the Bible. Prophetically speaking. And if we come to that point where they sign this treaty, the enhancement of the Abraham Accords with the inclusion of Saudi Arabia and finally peace with the Palestinians, Israel and the Palestinians can be in peace. It's a temporary peace. It's a false peace. It's fake. And in the midst of these world leaders will be somebody else. The little horn. As prophesied, the Antichrist who will rise to power on the world stage. 
and everybody will adore him. You know why? Because who doesn't want peace? Look at the world today. It's crazy. It's wild. On the verge of World War III, depending on where you live, I mean, some countries are in, you know, bordering, uh, you know, countries that are posing major threats. Where people live in fear on a daily basis that, man, I could get blown up today. There could be nuclear holocaust in my backyard today. Wars and rumors of wars. And so somebody comes in ushering peace, speaking of peace. Who wouldn't love him? Who doesn't want peace? But true peace cannot be found outside of the Prince of Peace. You see? And that's Jesus. That's real peace. And as the world gets darker and darker and darker and darker and darker, to evangelize, to go fishing for men, to go fishing for women, 30 years ago, that was one thing, but today, I mean, if, if you and me were to go fishing and we're fishing for minnows and you fall in the water, listen, nothing's going to happen. You're going to have wet feet and that's it. You're not going to get hurt. The minnows aren't going to do anything to you. But if you and me are fishing for great white sharks and I fall in the water, you know what? We're dead or I'm dead. You know, you, I mean, you'll learn a lesson. You don't have to get close to the water, but. We'll be dead. If we both fall in the water, we're going to be dead because those are great whites. And it might seem like, you know, somewhat laughable today because we're talking about, you know, minnows and great whites. It might seem laughable. But culture is changing rapidly. It's changing fast. Because the culture is becoming antichrist. I mean, it already is to a certain degree, but it's only going to get even more so. Because you mentioned the name Jesus Christ 20 years ago in, in 1990 or 2000, 2001, 2002. You mentioned the name of Jesus Christ and culture was still re relatively accepting of you. But today, you mentioned Jesus. And there are more people today who will not accept you. And as we get further into the events of the last days, even more people will not accept you. And then you have the rise of the Antichrist spirit, ultimately leading to the Antichrist himself. And the world will love him. And you speak against the Antichrist at that time? You're going to have a big target on your back. You speak against Antichrist and speak for the real Christ. Rejecting the false peace and accepting the real peace from the Prince of Peace. The world will hate you. And those are the waters that we speak of, of the great white shark. It's deadly. Now to confront the deadly... You and me, we also have to be deadly. You see, 
in a good way, in the better way, in the manner that is holy. Paul, he was deadly. Chloe, she was deadly. You and me, we got to be like that. And so in Peter's writing, when we see this appointing, like in verse 8, you know, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. We have to understand the process involved. Understand that God is not willing that any should perish, but every person has a choice to make. He doesn't make robots. And if you're listening and you haven't gone through our study in the book of Romans, go and listen to our study in Romans chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, and chapter 11. Romans 7 through 11. You'll understand more about appointing and predestination. Entirely biblical, but it must be understood biblically. And so remember in 1 Peter chapter 2, in, uh, um, in verse 7, where he says, To you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, and then, you know, we get to the end of verse 8, you know, or a, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. The name of Jesus Christ to you and me, it's so precious. The, the word precious doesn't do it justice. It's so beautifully amazingly, stupendously precious. And even that doesn't do it justice. The name of Jesus Christ is, is life. It's more precious than life. But to the wicked, they don't have that value. You see? And so we see, but you, in verse 9. We make these distinctions in the end of verse 8. They, they stumble. Being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. And when we see that appointing, we have to understand a breadth of truths. And the reason, remember the warning label that we had in our study in Leviticus, how, you know, before we studied Leviticus, we went to Galatians and a little bit of Hebrews because, it, you know, there's some beautiful things that are written in Leviticus, beautiful things. But it also comes with a major warning label because it can also pull into things that are not good. But the same is true with this appointing. Beautiful, beautiful promises. But it also can come with this attraction to false doctrines. And when I say false doctrines, I speak about Calvinism and Reformed theology, which are very unbiblical. So much so that Calvinist pastors today, and it's growing, they're telling Christians that they can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. That's what they're doing today. Being confronted they do not recant. Being confronted, they dig their heels even deeper, but they're telling their congregants, they're telling the believers, they're telling them, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. Because of their unbiblical doctrines. We see it in verse 9 here. 
but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim praises. Now, see, people say like, oh, this is for the Jews. He's speaking of the Jews. These are promises like in the Old Testament. Remember, in Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, just like there is no male, female. You see? And we also see in verse 5, the living stones being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Not carnal sacrifices. Not sacrifices of the old. Spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And that's done through Jesus Christ. And so what are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, one of them being what we looked at in in verse 1. Laying aside the malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. You see, getting rid of it, getting rid of it. It's gone. Remember in, in, in the law, in our study, in the law, the process by which a person becomes clean. Remember the priesthood where a person comes, uh, a a priest and says, oh, I, I think I have leprosy. Can you check it out? And the priest says, okay, sure. No problem. It's on the elbow. Okay. No big deal. But what, it's a, what if it's a female? And she says, hey, you know, priest, I think I have leprosy. I mean, if it's on the elbow, that's one thing. If it's on the knee, that's one thing. But what if it's elsewhere? You know how dead that priest has to be? Do you know how focused on holy things that priest has to be? Not like the sons of Eli. Wicked men. Not like the sons of Eli. You know how dead the priest has to be? Where his concern is, you know, she's got to be clean. So that she can be in the camp. And so that the camp can be holy. She's got to be clean. And so the female reveals the leprosy. You know how dead that priest has to be? Not concerned about the body part but concerned about the leprosy. And once it's found, okay, let's get you cleaned up. We got to get you cleaned up. And there's a process as given by the Lord and unto the Lord to honor the Lord, even with leprosy. You see? And then the Lord heals. And even in healing, okay, now there's a process to enter the camp. Now, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. But we see the same things as New Covenant believers. We see the same exact thing, but according to the Spirit. And the Lord, when you give Him your malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, do you think He's not going to replace those things? When you lay aside those things, when you throw them in the trash, do you think, do you really think that he won't give you better things? When Brother Paul says, present yourself a living sacrifice. Imagine how shocked the believers were, the Christians were. Hey, Paul, what do we do? Paul, we want to be good Christians. What do we do? What do we do? Maybe some expected, okay, you know, tithe an extra hundred bucks. 
Maybe they expected, okay, you know, go, go clean this in the sanctuary. Go do this. What does Paul say? He says, do nothing. Do nothing except this. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see? Imagine the shock of people hearing that. What? Paul's saying do nothing except present our bodies a living sacrifice? Because when you present your body a living sacrifice, you know what happens? You lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking. You see? And then we see in verse 9 here, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises or to celebrate and show the excellence of virtue and valor. That's how it translates, that you may proclaim the praises. And in the Greek, it translates as to celebrate and show the excellence of virtue and valor. That's a big deal. Not for self-aggrandizement. Not to showboat. But these are things that become evident to the world around us. These are things that are clearly seen to the world around us, believer and non-believer alike. To celebrate and show the excellence of virtue and valor. I'll give you an example. Have you ever met a Christian, a believer, with the most beautiful attributes of our faith? Maybe she's a prayer warrior. Maybe she's incredibly hospitable. Maybe you have a brother who is very giving, like Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, his name was Joseph. And his name was changed. The, 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 the apostles, they gave him the name Barnabas. Son of encouragement. But have you ever met somebody like that? Where you can see in them the excellence of virtue and valor. Where you have this old lady, can barely move, her joints hurt, her knees, her back, her hips, every body part, her, every body part hurts. But yet in her, you see the excellence of virtue and valor. And that's how this translates here in verse 9. You see, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. We're just passing through. And there's a crown that awaits you. It has your name on it. But when that crown is placed on your head, there are effectuators for that promise. It's obedience, which is better than the fat of rams. But today in this life, as we're trapped and wrapped in these earth suits that we wear, what can be seen of the Christian? 
I mean, the same way we look at the the old lady who's a prayer warrior or the other lady who's who's very hospitable or the guy who's like Barnabas and very giving. Well, the same, the, the, the opposite is also true when we see the works of the flesh where somebody says, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but let's go get baked. I got the finest crack from Chiapas, Mexico. You don't see that, the excellence of virtue and valor in that. We're a Christian. A brother in the Lord calls another brother in the Lord. Hey, come on, it's Friday night. Let's go to the strip club. You don't see excellence in virtue and valor. You see the carnal nature. You see, everybody has a choice to make. Everybody has a choice to make. And understand that, yes, we're just passing by. We're in these earth suits. But there's coming a time when there's effectuation. There's coming a time when you and me, we will receive glorified bodies. And we will shine like the angels. We will shine like the angels. Where you take take that sister who's a prayer warrior. She's 80 years old and aching in all her bones, but she prays. And when she prays, things happen. Because she's different. She's not like the average bear. You see? And these are people, like, if you were to, like, you know, like... Get, not to sound gory or anything, but if you were to like get a glimpse inside the flesh, you'd have to put on thick sunglasses because it would be so bright. She's like an angel waiting to happen. Barnabas on this side of eternity is like an angel waiting to happen. That's how bright they are. The remnant angels waiting to happen. So bright, the, the brilliance of light. But as we're wrapped in these earth suits, what can be seen? Things of the flesh, things of the carnal nature, or the excellence of virtue and valor. You see? Everybody has a choice to make. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And in this diaspora, in these perilous times of 64 AD, Brother Peter, inspired of the Spirit, captured in the canon of Scripture, In verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises or that you may celebrate and show the excellence of virtue and valor of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Into his marvelous light. You see, if the world hates you because you're a jerk, I mean, you cuss them out, you beat them up. That's one thing. I mean, you know, just like we see like how Barnabas is so beautiful, like an angel waiting to happen. Like if he if he gets a little cut, say Barnabas gets a little cut on his hand, you have to put on sunglasses because that cut is going to expose such a, a, a brilliant light that the carnal eye can't take it. Or the 80-year-old prayer, prayer warrior, she gets a little cut on her arm. You have to put on sunglasses because she's like an angel waiting to happen. 
You take the opposite of that. A Christian who's carnal, like we see in the church of Corinth. Remember? The guy says he's a Christian. And he, he's having sex with his dad's wife. That's what, that's what was happening in Corinth. He's a Christian. Don't forget it takes two to tango. And he's having sex with his dad's wife. The extortion, the alcoholism. And for three years, uncorrected by the pastors, some pastors. You see? Is that, is there brilliance of light in that? No, it's gross. It's yucky. It's nasty. It's stinky. It is not a sweet aroma unto the Lord. Remember, nothing mangy. Or you see people with rage. And that used to be my vice. My vice was rage. Not just anger. It's one thing to be mad. But when anger turned to rage, even as a believer, it's like 20 years ago, even as a believer, is that brilliance of light? Where I can praise the Lord on Sunday and, you know, somebody gets in my face on, you know, Monday and I'm ready to go to blows? Does that honor the Lord? You see, no, it doesn't work that way. Especially when you consider our study in the book of James, what Brother James says. When people don't get what they, in their prayer, when, when they don't receive, when they pray, and Brother James says, hey, don't blame the Lord, that's because of you. You see, go back and listen to our study in the book of James. You'll understand more. And so it's one thing if the world hates you because of, you know, like 20 years ago, I was a jerk. Beat them up, cussed them out. It's one thing. But when that happens, a person with that is without excuse, without excuse for what they bring. And we have to make this distinction because a lot of times Christians today, oh, I'm being persecuted, I'm being persecuted, I'm being persecuted. Well, sometimes persecution is because the person is a jerk. The person is carnal. The person responded in a manner that is carnal. Responded in a manner that is of the flesh, of Adam and not of Christ. But when your life exemplifies and shows the excellence of godly virtue and godly valor, and that's why they hate you, you are innocent before the Lord. It's them that are without excuse for what God brings. You see? It's important to make these distinctions. And I'm going to say something here that's going to hit a lot of you very hard. And I love you. But it's something that terrifies me greatly. And it's we've seen it in the last several years with regard to church and 
Christians responding to government. The things that Christians said and did, led by pastors too, against government. It terrifies me. Because Christians are fighting according to the flesh. According to the flesh. That's not how we fight. That's not how we're supposed to fight. You look at the rise of anger over the last several years. Among the Christians. And you can see the rise of the flesh and the carnal nature at a time when that's going to get a lot of believers in trouble. Because when that happens, Christians lose their salt. And when that happens, salt is good for nothing. And when that happens, culture gets trampled underfoot by men. It's the very thing Jesus speaks of. Behold the last days. Behold the last days. It's going to get worse. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you might remember like maybe about a year ago, two years ago. I don't remember exactly. But I refrained from having like a, a study on, you know, specifics of the last days because it'd be too terrifying. I mean, if we were to have like in one study, just lay it all out, the events of the last days, everybody would be terrified, terrified. And through prayer, through prayer, it was decided, okay, it's just, we're just going to drip it. But if you listen regularly, you'll see something. You'll, you'll, you'll see a picture of what is transpiring in these last days because we mention it in our studies because it's being dripped. And in the course of time, something else is happening. You're being prepared. You're being equipped so that you can understand the word of God. So you can be trained for what's coming. In Peter's days of the believers in the perilous times of 64 AD, let's look at verse 10. Speaking of these believers who are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You see? And Brother Peter says this in verse 11. He says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. Now, he can't mandate this. He can't order people. He doesn't have a gun to people and say, hey, abstain from fleshly lusts. No, all he can do is speak. He can write. He can teach. That's all he can do. And pray. That's all he can do. People have a choice to make. They can ignore Peter or they can heed what Peter says. But to heed what a person says, 
another person must also understand formula. Because don't forget, Alexander also spoke spoke on things supposing them to be holy. Himenaeus also spoke, leaders in the church. But what they spoke of was not holy. What Paul spoke of, what Peter spoke of, Timothy, Titus, that was holy. This is why we stress formula quite a bit, quite heavy, but it's done for a reason. And brother Peter, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, see, Peter, we're just passing through. Pilgrims, sojourners. And he says in verse 11, abstain from fleshly lusts. I beg you, he says, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. Honorable conduct. Honorable conduct among non-believers. Remember, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're just passing by. And Brother Peter reminding the saints of the perilous times of 64 AD during the diaspora of 64 AD in his day. Captured in the canon of scripture, it's applicable for you and me today. In verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, when, not if, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see? Let's look at verse 12 all over again. Actually, 11. Well, Brother Peter, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, turn with me to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, Luke 19. And in Luke 19, what's happening in Luke 19 is Jesus is nearing Jerusalem. And in verse 41, Luke 19, verse 41, we see this. Now, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you. And, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. See, this is both terrible and terrifying. And Jesus says why this happens. And what is that reason? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. I mean, here in Jerusalem, their visitation was happening. And they knew not. And this is what Peter speaks of. 
the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter, when he speaks of the same thing, the hour of their visitation or the day of visitation, non-believers will have days of visitation the same way you had a day of visitation, the same way I had a day of visitation. Non-believers will have days of visitation. But it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that non-believers will not be blind on their day of visitation. Where they wake up that morning and they're blind. They go to bed at night, they're not blind. How does this happen? Well, Brother Peter explains. In verse 12, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, so notice, they call us evil. They call us evil. Oh, you dumb Christians, you evil Christians. You're not down with, you know, what we say about marriage. You're not down with what we, you know, love is love. You're not down with what we, what we have determined to be love, what we have determined to be good. You're not down with that. And they speak evil against the Christians. And yeah, you know, saints, we're not down with that. We're not down with what the world calls good, especially when what they call good is evil. We're not. And they can observe that. But they can also observe something else. They can observe our good works. You see? They can observe our good works. And through good works, something happens. We chip away at the hard heart. Through good works. We chip away at the hard hearts. It's very important to understand this. Because in Jerusalem, they didn't know the hour of their visitation, the time of their visitation. They didn't know. But what about the visitation that you and me had? The day we became believers, where we woke up, we woke up that morning, heathen. We went to bed that night, saint. We had a day of visitation that day, that beautiful day. Born again, our birthday. Your birthday, my birthday. But it doesn't end with us. It doesn't end with you. It doesn't end with me. It happens every day. But if we have the works of the flesh, if people want to come against us, if somebody, if a non-believer says, oh, you dumb Christians, and I say, okay, you call me dumb. Okay, let's go to blows. I'm going to beat you up. You're never going to call me dumb again. I'm going to beat you up. Do you think that's helping to soften their heart? No, the answer is no. You see? 
And then he's going to get his friend, and you know, it's going to be two on one. They're going to get another friend. It's going to be three on one, and they're going to beat me to a bloody pulp. And their heart stays hard. But in that example, my heart would be hard too. You see? And in that example, I can dare not say I'm being persecuted. No, because they gave me the beat down because I was a jerk. You see? It's very important for us to understand this as we get deeper into the events of the last days because the days are evil, the days are wicked, and we're just getting started. And because they observe the good works of the Christian, they wake up in the morning, heathen. The same way you and me did. We wake up one morning, heathen. We go to bed that night on our birthday, born again day. We go to bed that night, a saint. Wake up, heathen. Go to bed, saint. Why? Because it was the day of our visitation. And these days of visitation happen multiple times, multiple days all around the world. But when salt loses its flavor, when salt loses its flavor, where Jesus, our Lord, says it's good for nothing than to be trampled underfoot by men, and we see our culture, we see our world. I live in the United States, just so you know. I teach from the United States, presently teach from the United States, presently live in the United States. And our culture is being trampled underfoot by men here in the United States. And if you're listening and you're in Japan or Venezuela or Germany or Sweden or Russia or China or, you know, um, Australia. I'm going to venture to say that you also see that your culture where you live is being trampled underfoot by men. But then you look at the church. You look at the church wage war according to the flesh. Instead of praying. Instead of being on their face before the Lord. And you see how in the last several years you see the carnal fight of Christians. When Christians go and pick it here and pick it there, they get arrested, people fight. And you see the rise of the carnal nature. Do you think culture is going to change? And then Christians want to go to the ballot box. Oh, we're going to vote. We're going to vote. We're going to vote. And then what do they do? They form coalitions with all kinds of faiths. Oh, we're, you know, a faith-based movement. And you see Christians aligning themselves with the Hindus, aligning themselves with the Mormons, with the Catholics, with the Calvinists. You see Christians aligning themselves with the Buddhists, the Krishnas. You see, oh, it's all faith-based. It's faith-based. And we're going to vote. We're going to fix this country at the ballot box. We're going to fix our state. We're going to fix our city at the ballot box. And things get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Why does that happen? Flavorless salt, that's why. 
the salt has lost its flavor. Because when the world comes against the Christian, the Christian, where are the good works? How does the Christian respond? How dare you say that against me? I'm going to beat you up. Where's the good works? How dare you come at me like this? You know what? I'm going to beat you up. I'm going to slash your tires. You want to do this? Okay, let's go out in the parking lot and I'm going to beat you up. Put up your dukes. Where are the good works? How do you expect hearts to go to get soft? And you know the sad part? What if that day where you see Christians fighting according to the flesh, what if that day was the day of their visitation to the non-believer? And instead of accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they reject Jesus. Why? Because of what the people see among the so-called followers of Jesus. You see? Can you see how the Lord works? I mean, we're in the new covenant. This is not old covenant. We are new covenant believers and we understand the rules of engagement. Just like remember in our study, you know, several months ago, actually, it's been said before, but we covered it in Hebrews, a little bit in James, a little bit in the pastoral epistles. But do you remember the study we had where we look at the rules of engagement, where we look at Fallujah and Haiti? Warriors, same commander, entirely different rules of engagement. But it's the same thing as Christians. It's the same thing of the old covenant and the new covenant. Same commander, different rules of engagement, different theater of warfare. We must understand these things. And I understand, I know that these are difficult concepts to understand, especially for the patriot whom I love. I know, I understand that you have these difficulties. You hate what you see happening. I mean, if you live in America, I teach from America, but you hate what you see happening. But understand that it is righteousness that exalts a nation. And if you live in China, if you live in Russia, if you live in Venezuela, if you live in Germany, Sweden, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, Chile, if you live, you know, wherever in the world, Zimbabwe, Uganda, Egypt, Jordan, Israel, Wherever you live and you see culture getting darker and darker and darker because you have eyes to see, understand the Lord never changes. And it's our Lord who says that it is righteousness that exalts a nation. You see? And I don't want to hurt anybody as surely as the Lord lives. I do not want to hurt anybody with these words. But it is shameful. It is shameful to know that people's blindness is aided by the carnal 
works of Christians, of us, of us. And that's shameful. Because a non-believer can turn on the news and hear about a pedophile pastor. A pastor who molests children, a youth pastor who molests children. Do you think those evil works are going to help blind see? They will not. Christians fighting according to the flesh and not according to the spirit. Do you really think the blindness of culture will be healed? The answer is no. They'll still be blind at the hour of their visitation. And this is a painful reality. It hurts. It hurts to fathom. It hurts to see happening. It hurts to speak of because I speak to Christians. I speak to you. I speak of us. I speak of the body of Christ. And it hurts. But these are things that every single Christian must understand because the days are getting more evil and we're just getting started. This is nothing. We're just getting started. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Yes, let all of us be heavenly minded, but understand we're not there yet. Know that when a person dies without the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their heart, they will burn in hell. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. They will be eternally separated from God. That's what happens when a person dies without Jesus Christ. And sometimes a non-believer's heart is hard. Yes, because of their life experiences. And, you know, just like with, with Pharaoh, how Pharaoh hardened his heart over and over and over and over and over. And then, boom, the Lord stepped in and hardened his heart. It was a form of judgment and wrath, which still happens today when you read Romans 1. And it is true that some of the wicked, they know exactly what they're doing. They don't know the full cost because they haven't been in the lake of fire. But it is also true that some of the wicked know not what they do. And sometimes their heart is hard because of what they see in Christians. You see? And it hurts to speak like this. I don't like speaking like this because I know it hurts. And I don't want to hurt you. Look at what Brother Peter is saying in the diaspora, in the perilous times of his day. To let your conduct be honorable among Gentiles that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. You see, you and me, you and me, let's boil it down. Let's get personal. I know you have moms and dads and uncles and aunties and cousins and spouses and kids and parents and cousins and third cousins and second cousins twice removed and all kinds of different things. But let's boil it down to just you and me. 
we can heal blindness. We can heal blindness. Through our good works unto the Lord. You see? You and me. The blind can see because of our good works. And it's not us. It's Jesus in us. And this is what Peter is teaching the saints of the diaspora of his days. And this is what we teach to the saints of the diaspora of our day. Therefore, verse 13, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. It translates as submit to institution and ordinance of men. And this is, it's going to get very difficult as we get further into the last days. As governments transition to an antichrist order, ultimately led by the antichrist himself. But prophetically speaking, there will be nations that oppose the Antichrist and the Antichrist agenda, but not many. The world at large will be Antichrist, and it's getting closer to that point. And, you know, when we say earlier that, you know, the final seven years could begin within a year, that's not date setting like, you know, like it is, you know, bona fide, like it is going to happen within a year. No, it could. It could. Within a year, in the timeline that they themselves speak of, these world leaders in global factions, when they speak of a binding peace agreement, a binding peace treaty, not one nation, not two nations, not three nations, a multitude of nations. And they speak of finally bringing peace to the Middle East. And that can happen within a year. And you look at the aligning of many other prophecies. I mean, we're not going to know for sure. Like, say say they sign, you know, tomorrow. Well, we're going to have to count three and a half years from that moment. And if the buildup, if there's buildup of construction of the third temple, okay, now we're going to know, okay, that that was it. That was the beginning of the seven years. We're not going to know probably two years in. It'll probably be constructed relatively quickly, especially since it's prefabricated, which is already happening today. But we're not going to know. Probably, you know, first year, second year, when we start to see other things happen, we're going to know, okay, that was it. We got four years left. So there's a series of prophecies that have to be accounted for. So when we speak this way, it's not to instill fear. It's not to terrify you, even though there are terrifying implications if the formula is wrong. When you hear us say jump ship, we don't say jump ship just, you know, so you can jump ship and drown in the ocean. No, we say jump ship because there is a better way. We need to be ready. If you're in a fellowship and the formula is right, 
It's probably going to be a tiny church. Don't leave. Don't you dare leave. Pastors. When you're full package pastor, now I don't speak of, you know, no package pastor or one, two, three package. No, I'm talking full package. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back and listen to our studies through the pastoral epistles. You'll understand more. Everything's housed, resource free. The way underground.com. Everything's free. It's there. Go listen. It's for you. To prepare you. So that you can understand and see. Go and listen to the pastoral epistles. If you're a pastor, and I'm talking full package, pour your heart out into the flock of God. Pour your heart out. And if need be, die for them. Beautiful in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. The days are evil. And this is nothing. It's just it's going to get worse. And worse and worse and worse. Ultimately to the point where they're going to want your head. And look what Brother Peter says in the diaspora of his days, in the perilous times, in the times of sorrow of his day. In verse 13, he says, Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. You see? Whether to the kings as supreme or to governors. Now, I teach from America presently. And here in America, we have city mayors, state governors, a national president. And there's a similar setup in other countries too with prime ministers and kings and different aspects of government tiers of government. And we see in Paul too, how he submits to governing authorities as well as Roman, a Roman citizen. Remember he's Jew, but he's Roman, a Roman citizen. And he uses his rights to protect the saints in Philippi, using his rights to appeal to Caesar, but using these rights, understand what happened. Shielding of the saints, protecting the saints, while also costing his life. See, a lot of carnal Christians, and it pains me to speak this way, but it has to be said, a lot of carnal Christians are using rights of their prospective nation for the advancement of things carnal. And they use Paul as an example. But that cannot be done. Because when Paul used his rights, it was to shield saints. And it cost him his life. He went to jail. He was in prison. And they killed him. We have to understand that. Go back and listen. If you're listening for the first time, if you're a new listener, welcome. But go back and listen to our study in the book of Acts and Romans. Everything's resourced for you. Go and listen. It's to help you, to prepare you for the days that are coming. The days that are here, yes, but even more so for the days ahead. Like what Brother Peter says, to the saints of the diaspora of his day, he says in verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, By doing good. Remember, works. Good works. Good works. In verse 12, remember, good works. 
And so many create, oh, we're not saved by works. We're not saved by works. Precisely. We're not saved by works. We come to Jesus at 0%, but we don't stay at 0%. We are saved for works. That's what the text says. We are saved for good works. What are the good works? Well, we've already explained some already just in this study alone. Present your body a living sacrifice. And the Lord will give you, the Lord will teach you, the Lord will show you. And don't forget the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two baptisms, the baptism of repentance, belief in Jesus, but it doesn't end there. There are saints in the in Acts chapter 8 that believed they had the baptism of repentance, but they had not the Spirit. You see? Quickly remedied, quickly remedied by... John and Peter, who laid hands and they received the Holy Spirit. Except for Simon, because he was wicked. For this is the will of God in verse 15, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see? Put, by doing good, by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. It's very important to understand. In verse 14, you know, when we're speaking of this submission, as Peter says, you know, or, you know, whether it be to kings and supremes or to governors, as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. You know, we... These are things that we often lose sight of because when a person commits murder, there is government, city government, state government, federal government. There, there is government that punishes the murder. You see? There is governing. We have police. We have, you know, detectives. And there's a governing system. The punishment of evildoers, as is written in verse 14. These are things that we cannot lose sight of. And then also we see, and for the praise of those who do good, and understand that as we get further in the events of the last days, this is going to be more rare. Government and culture transitions to an antichrist spirit. But don't forget, along with the two thieves was hung our Lord. Let us not forget. Much wisdom is required for the days ahead. There is absolutely safety that can be found. Absolutely. Look at Philadelphia. But the way is narrow. Pastors, 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 teach the flock well. And when we say pastors, we're talking full package. And so we see in verse 15, for this is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. You see? I mean, when you're persecuted for doing good, what is the argument of foolish men? What can they see? What can they say? What can they say? If you're persecuted for doing good, what can they say? What is their argument? 
I mean, if you're persecuted for carnal behavior, the flesh, or even wickedness, you cannot call that persecution. Just like the example I gave, you know, the three guys, they jumped me and gave me the beat down. I can't say I'm persecuted. No, because they gave me the beat down because I was a jerk. And that's how I conducted myself, you know, 20, 25 years ago. It's just an example. I never got the beat down. <laughs> but let's be straight up. If you're persecuted for carnal behavior and the flesh. Oh, they threw me in jail. They threw me in jail. Well, why? Well, I punched the officer. I punched the policeman. I'm being persecuted. I'm in jail. They threw me in jail. Don't call that persecution. You assaulted an officer. You can't call that persecution. You see? There's a pastor. I teach from America. And there's a pastor in America. He says Christians can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. And he had a ministry leader that went to prison for pedophilia. A pedophile. And the guy started a prison ministry, endorsed by the pastor. And being in prison, he calls it persecution. That's wrong. That's not persecution. He's in prison because he's a pedophile. You see? But that's what they do. That's them according to the flesh. If they want to fight according to the flesh, okay. What do I say? Come out of her, my people. Jump ship. When you are persecuted and you have a clear conscience before the Lord, the fool, the fool has no leg to stand on. Sure, they might present their case and they might even win their case in the courts of Adam. But in the heavenlies, where it really matters, you are innocent. You see? And they're going to find out the hard way. But I'll tell you something. When the formula is right in you and the old nature is dead, you're going to love your persecutors. And you'll weep for them. That's what happens. You will be persecuted. And people will hate you. They will revile you. But the very source of these hurtful words, you will love. You will weep for them. Because they know not what they do. And Brother Peter, he's... The saints, they're afraid, which is understandable. I get it. The cost of being a Christian is life-threatening to believe in Jesus. And so Christians fled. And Peter is writing about a better safety. And in verse 15, this is the will of God. 
I mean, he's telling them, submit yourself, verse 13, to the every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to supreme or to governors, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of who do evil, for this is the will of God. How could it be the will of God when they want to kill us? How could it be the will of God when they want to beat us, when they want to rape us, when they want our the lions to tear us apart and the bears to rip off our arms? How could that be the will of God? That by doing good, he says, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And these are things that we can only understand. Yes, with the full counsel of the word of God, but with the help of the helper, capital H, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God is long, not God is long willing, long suffering. God is long suffering, not willing that any should perish. I mean, you look at Paul. An imprisoner and killer of Christians. I bet you Paul felt like, or before pre-Paul, I bet you Saul at the stoning of Stephen. I guarantee you, he thought he was in the perfect will of God. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He thought he was in the perfect will of God. And in so doing, the penalty of sin, stoning. The sight of Stephen being hit by each stone, one on the shoulder, one in the gut, one in the thigh, and then death blow. One right in the face. And then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. And I bet you Saul thought it was pleasing unto the Lord. Until he became Paul. This is something that isn't necessarily captured in depth in the canon of Scripture in Paul's writings, but he speaks very very gently and delicately about it. But Paul being present at the capture and the killing of Christians, he heard the sounds. Women, children screaming. Men screaming. He has memory of those very sounds. The very sight. And as Saul, I bet you he thought he was in good standing with the Lord. Then you see how he himself, when he writes of his countrymen, as Saul, a believer in Jesus Christ and vessel of the Lord unto the Gentiles. And when he says of his countrymen, the Jews, When he says, I would trade my own salvation if they could come to Christ. What kind of love is that? 
What kind of love is that? Who would you trade your salvation for? And yet Paul says, if it means that my countrymen would all come to Christ, I would, I would gladly be anathema from Christ. What kind of love is that? It brings to mind the other scripture. Those who are forgiven much, love much. You see? It's a radically different way of thinking. But let me tell you something. You and me, we are radically different. There is a conduct of Adam. And there is a conduct of Christ. And we see this in verse 16, that we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free in verse 16, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Now, this is like a spiritual libertarian. Oh, I'm free to do this. I'm free to do that. But when freedom becomes an excuse to really prefer vice, don't do that. A guy says, oh, look, the Lord has made me free, so I'm free to watch this movie. He's using a biblical truth, speaking of freedom in Christ. But what the guy really wants is to watch the nudity and the sex, and sex is his vice. Don't do that. Now, that's an example in the area of sexual sin. But there are all kinds of vices. My, my biggest vice 20, 25 years ago, rage, rage. Where anger quickly, quickly, short fuse turns to rage. Free. Only don't use liberty as a cloak for vice. Sex, rage, alcohol, Buddha, Krishna, drugs, crack, the whole nine yards. Everything, it can be a vice. Whatever it is that separates you from the Lord or has a propensity or can separate you from the Lord, that is idolatry. And is a vice. You see? And not using liberty free. Not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. We see here in verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Do you see the distinctions? Christians, love them. The people, honor them. Kings and leaders, honor them. God, fear him. I mean, we give this example every now and then, but if the president, I teach from America, if the president requests my presence, summons me to the Oval, I'll go and I'll be cordial. I'll be highly respectful. I don't hate him. I hate the policies and I will respect the office. Hello, Mr. President. Mr. President, how are you today? Yes, Mr. President. He says, please take your seat. Okay, Mr. President. 
Would you like a cup of coffee? No, thank you, Mr. President. I'll be respectful. Honor the office. I don't like his policies. But if he asked me to spearhead a new program for something that is against God, Mr. President, I'm sorry. Mr. President, I cannot do that. I'm a Christian. And the Bible speaks against that, Mr. President. You see, I'll be respectful. I'm going to honor him. I'll also present the gospel and ask him to commit his life to, to the Lord, to Jesus. To commit his life to the God that I worship in spirit and truth. And at that point, he has a choice to make. But if he responds and says, nope, I don't want that. And if you don't do what I say, I'm going to chop off your head. I'm going to take your head if you don't comply. Listen, I'm not going to fight him. You want my head? Take it. What am I going to do with it? I don't want it. You want it? Take it. I'll tell you about Jesus. God loves you. I love you. I'm telling you the gospel truth. But if you want to take my head, here. Understand we honor people, but it's to win them. It's to win them because they will have their day of visitation and you, you can help the blind. See by your good works. The blind can see again through your good works. You see? We honor people to win them to Christ, to win souls. And above everything, we fear the Lord. Remember, when, Paul, when, when Peter is writing this, it's during the perilous times of 64 AD. And so we see here in verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Now, most places in the world today don't have the servant-master relationship anymore. We don't see that, but we do have today the employee-employer relations that we see today. And Peter is telling the saints to be submissive to their masters. And when you see that, you know, see that as the employer. I mean, we also remember our studies in Paul's letters too, where, you know, which aligns perfectly to what Peter is saying. Why? Same spirit. Same spirit is guiding them. And brother Peter says, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. I mean, when you have a boss that's good and gentle, submission, it's a piece of cake. But a harsh boss, it's much more difficult. You see? And whether gentle or harsh, Peter is telling Christians to submit themselves, which is a choice. The saints have a choice to make. And Brother Peter says in verse 19, for this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. And Peter says it's commendable. Commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one, suffer, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, it's a commendable thing. And you know what? Throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, a lot of people suffer wrongfully. A lot of beautiful people. 
consecrated people, holy people. I mean, if this is you and you're suffering wrongfully, you're in good company. You're in great company. You're in beautiful company. Heroes captured in the canon of Scripture. In verse 24, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? Peter said, what does it matter? What's the credit? I mean, we live in a time where employers don't beat their workers. I mean, in some parts of the world, that you do see that. But, you know, I teach from America. We don't see that. At large, we don't see that. I mean, in the, you know, in, in the U.S. that kind of fizzled down in, in the 20s. You know, we have laws in place now. 20s and 30s, but now we have, you know, laws in place. Even having these laws in place, I mean, in 19, to be an employee in 1920s, you could get the beat down at work. But now because of these laws in place, you see how the laws of the land help? You see? Praise the Lord that employees don't get beaten today. And I teach from America. And in America, you don't see employers beating their employees. I mean, if they do, they go to jail. The laws in place, they help. Just like we studied earlier. But what about when you are persecuted for your faults? I mean, let's be straight up. I mean, if, if you embezzle $50,000 from your employer or $100,000 from your employer and they come against you legally, dare not call that persecution. Because what credit is it? You're not going to jail for faith. You're not going to jail for righteousness. You're going to jail for embezzlement. And that's what Peter is saying here. What credit is it in verse 20? If when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, if you take it patiently, he says, which translates as if you persevere, bear trials, have fortitude, you suffer and abide. And Peter says, you do good, you suffer, and you take it patiently. He says, this, this is commendable before God. You see, forget public opinion. Forget a jury of your peers. It's commendable and pleasurable to the Lord. To the Lord. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. But highlight this verse and remember this verse. Verse 20. Where you see, when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And I don't want to lord over anybody's walk or anybody's faith, but highlight that and remember it. When you do good and suffer, it's commendable, commendable before God if you take it patiently. He says in verse 21, for to this you were called. Remember our study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3? Where Paul writes in verse 3, Don't be shaken by affliction. Don't be shaken by affliction, he says. You yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In the Greek, translates as, We were made for this, remember? We were made for this. Christians don't like hearing this. Believers, saints, we don't like to hear about being up, you know, we, we, we like to hear about being appointed to heaven. We like that. 
Bible verses that say, okay, appointing to heaven, appointed to heaven, okay, appointed to good, okay, we like that, I, I like that, you know, being appointed to good things, okay, I like that. But being appointed to affliction, being appointed to tribulation, being made for tribulation, Christians don't like hearing that about being appointed unto affliction. But that's what Paul says. It's what Peter says. Why? Same spirit. And let's continue with this vessel. Brother Peter is writing here in verse 21 where he says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example, or leaving us an example. Wait, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. In verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. That's a big deal. When he was reviled, did not revile in return. I mean, when you think about what Jesus could have done, and very recently I was in a conversation with the Calvinist. I guess you could say a debate. I don't like saying debate. You know, I just say my, say what I got to say and leave it. I don't get into fights or arguments. You know, I say, say what I got to say and that's it. He might call it a debate, but I was just talking. But he goes on to say, he says, you know, if God really wanted to, he could wipe everybody out. Which I get. I understand. If God wanted to, he could wipe everybody out. His ways are not our ways and he is sovereign and we don't know what he's going to do. And he could just wipe everybody out. Yeah, but you know what? He didn't. He didn't. And this is something Brother Peter learned very poignantly. Because when, when Jesus was arrested, you know what Peter did? He drew his sword and he attacked in retaliation, fighting according to the flesh, fighting in according to Adam, fighting according to the carnal nature. He drew his sword and he attacked. And Jesus told him, put it away. Sheathe your sword, he says. You don't think this is Jesus speaking to Peter. He says, You don't think I can you don't think I can pray to my father and he would send 12 legions of angels? Peter, you don't think that? Remember Hezekiah? One angel destroyed the armies of Syria. One angel. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you don't think I can pray? And my father would send 12 legions, not one, 12 legions of angels. So when Peter writes this here in 1 Peter chapter 2, when he writes this, remember what he experienced himself in learning the ways of godliness. You see? He wanted to fight according to Adam. He wanted to fight according to the old rules of engagement. But Jesus stopped him. Don't do that. Put your sword away, Peter. And now time has passed. And this very experience of Peter, he's telling to the saints who have fled, 
He's telling to the saints of the diaspora, teaching them a better way of safety and teaching them how to fight according to the Spirit. Showing the example of Jesus Christ in verse 23, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. You see? Say you and me, you and me, say, for example, we're non-believers. And we get in my time machine and we go back in time and we observe Peter speaking boldly in the marketplace. Say we're non-believers in this example. And we can see Peter speaking boldly in the marketplace. And you and me were shocked. We're shocked at his boldness and an impressive fighter of speech. And then we see he's about to get arrested and we wonder, you know, do, do his fists match his tongue? Will he fight and kick and stab? And is, is, is he as good a fighter with his fists as he is with his mouth? And then we see him get arrested without incident. And we're shocked. What a weakling. What a weakling. You know, he's so, he's so tough with his speech, but yet, look, he doesn't want to do anything about it. He's so tough. Remember, in this example, you and me were non-believers. And say, for example, say we're believers. And we see the exact same thing, but we're babies. We're not deadly. We're not mature. Say we're just babies. And as babies, we would think, man, you know, he's still a weakling. Why didn't he fight back? They arrested him. Why didn't he fight? Why didn't he go to blows? Why didn't he like, you know, throw his fists? But say we're no longer babies. Say we're believers, but we're no longer babies tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Say we're mature, maybe even deadly. We would understand that Peter is a valiant warrior. He fights according to the spirit, according to the rules of engagement of the new covenant. Same with Paul, same with Stephen. And it's the same today. You and me, we will be reviled. We will be reviled. You will be reviled. Do not revile. We will suffer. Do not threaten. But let us commit ourselves to Jesus. And in verse 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sin, you see, having died to sins, that's the old nature, the old guy, that's the old lady. They're dead. Us now in Christ, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And Peter, a vessel of the Lord, he's reminding the saints about this. Not only is the diaspora happening, but there's also a falling away that is happening where the same spirit that's saying Peter write about this is the same spirit that's telling Paul, hey, Paul, write about this. Mobilize the next generation of pastoral leadership because, Paul, you're in prison. Mobilize the next generation of pastoral leadership. And in obedience, Peter writes. In obedience, Paul writes. 
Next generation of pastoral leadership in obedience, they're ready for such a time as then. Prepared, training up, being equipped, ready, mobilized. And there's nothing new under the sun. It's the exact same in the last days. For our perilous times. For our times of sorrows. For our tribulation. For our affliction to which you and me were appointed. In verse 25, in closing... For you were, notice past tense, you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he speaks of Jesus. You've returned to Christ. Now we've reached the end of our study, but if you're listening and you want to commit or recommit your life to Christ, because Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you believe in Jesus already and you think like, well, you, you thought before, oh, I'm good to go. You know, I, if, I, if, the, if, the, if the police want to arrest me, that's okay. I'll just beat them up. And now you're learning about the rules of engagement of the new covenant and you realize you can't do that. Or the person or people that hate you, you realize they hate you because you're a jerk. I mean, if they hate you because you're righteous, that's one thing. And then you're starting to realize, like, wait a second. You know what? I am a jerk. Well, listen, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. We got to get you nice and clean. And remember, you know, it's like when we understand, just like we see in Torah, there's a process for being clean. And praise the Lord that we're not in the days of Torah. We're in the days of fulfillment. You have to repent. Let's get you cleaned up. And if that's you, you're a believer, but you're more carnal than you want to be. And you want to recommit your life to Christ. If you're a non-believer and you're hearing this, you see the signs of the times. Remember, it was Jesus who says, I tell you now these things before they happen. Before they happen. Because when they happen, you can believe. And you're listening and you're like, oh my goodness. I hear this guy speak and you know what? I look at the news. I see this. He says the Euphrates River is dry. I see the Euphrates. You know, I see the ethnic divisions. And you know what? This is right. This is biblical. This is in the Bible. And it's not for the sake of being right. But when Jesus says, I tell you now before they happen so that when they happen, you might believe. You know what? He's speaking to you. He's speaking to you. We like to say, get in the ark. And that's Jesus Christ. The ark of our time. The ark of the last days. You're in a fellowship where the formula isn't right. Listen, jump ship. And welcome aboard. And if that's you, a believer, and you want to recommit your life to Christ, or a non-believer, and you want to com commit your life to Christ, or you're a, 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 a believer and you're going to jump ship, 
We're at the end of our study, but after this study, go and listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. You commit your life to Jesus Christ right here, right now. And beautiful things are going to happen. You do that. And I say, welcome to the family. My beautiful brother, my beautiful sister, welcome to the family. And you listen. And we grow together, we mature. You see? And for such a time as this, for such a time as this, we prepare for the last days. To the beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.